The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So tonight I'd like to explore with you uh, this path towards freedom which we cultivate here at IMC. Last week in his last talk of the year, um, Gil talked about breaking out of one's shell as a metaphor for becoming free. And with this practice, we show up and are present for this world in a clear way. And we appreciate the goodness that we have. Gil emphasized that if right now we can take in the blessings of the moment, chances are we'll be in a better place to address the challenges of tomorrow. And that shell that imprisons us is our imaginary thinking, our plans, our worries, our self-centeredness. So to see clearly means to shed this shell of imaginary thinking of me, myself, and mine, living in the future or the past. And when we shed this shell and really live in the present, we find that we have many more blessings than we imagine. A key Buddhist practice is um, to reflect on our own goodness, on our blessings. And when we do this, our happiness naturally begins to spread out to others. So in this way, we're, we're not practicing just for ourselves. When we really open up to the present moment and everything is bringing us, we can become an oasis of happiness for others. And our practice starts to radiate out to all beings. So for the last year and a half, I've had the great good fortune uh, to live in Berkeley with very dear friends from the San Francisco Zen Center whom I've known for over 40 years, Linda Hess and Kaz Tanahashi. And for the two years before that, uh, I stayed with them frequently every time I came to the Bay Area uh, from where I was living in France. And they've completely welcomed me into their family. Uh, and I must say I'm, I'm immensely grateful for their hospitality and friendship. And they're also amazingly stimulating people to live with. So Kaz is a world-famous calligrapher and artist and is a fellow of the World Academy of Art and Science. He's also been a, a fervent peace activist for decades. He's regularly invited to co-teach Zen retreats with Joan Halifax Roshi in Santa Fe. And tonight I'm borrowing um, from the theme of that session, uh, that's the Zen retreat, that Kaz and Roshi Joan uh, just did together with Pat O'Hara Roshi. Uh, this is a theme that was suggested by Kaz a year ago when they were planning it. And it's one that he's been working on in his art for decades. And it's called 
miracle of each moment. Kaz has also spent 50 years of his life translating the entire opus of Dogen. Um, he's, he was the founder of Soto Zen in Japan. And even at the age of 82, Kaz travels the world giving workshops, and he publishes about six books a year, and you know, he's just <laughs> totally amazing. Um, so I brought with me uh, to share with you one of the hundreds of paintings that he's done uh, titled Miracles of Each Moment, which he kindly put up in my room. And this one was done in 1998. We can each uh, bring our meaning, our own meaning, to the classic Zen circle. It, we kind of discover it every time. And we know that it's impossible to make a perfect circle. And uh, one of the things that Kaz likes to say is that we surrender to the idea of creating something imperfect all the time. So one of the innovations that Kaz has brought to the art of Japanese calligraphy is the use of color instead of the traditional black and white. So here we see the classic Enzo, the, the Zen circle, and often it symbolizes the Buddhist concept of emptiness. And here again, Kaz has made a, what I think is a wonderful innovation. Um, and instead of translating the it is emptiness, he now uses the word boundlessness. So emptiness kind of has an idea that, you know, we're missing something. But boundlessness, wow, you know, that's, that's you know, we're opening up to the sky. Um, I think it's quite wonderful. And now I'll... I'll um, digress for a moment to share with you an anecdote of the, of the wonderful Vipassana teacher, Joseph Goldstein, which I heard from him um, during a three-month um, retreat that I did uh, monastic style at the Forest Refuge in, in Massachusetts. And Joseph was reflecting on his early days of meditation and how frequently he got carried away by the thinking mind. Has that ever happened to you? And then one day he came back to his deepest intention with a vengeance. And he said to himself, Joseph, do you want to think or do you want to be enlightened? And, you know, we can meditate for years and years um, without really being disciplined. And sometimes we're just lazy, and even though we've resolved to stay with the experience of the present moment, or to stay with the breath, we still indulge that thinking mind. Planning, worrying, regretting, reliving, etc., 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 etc. So I found Joseph's story really helpful in my own practice. Meg, do you want to think, or do you want to be free? What are you doing in your meditation? Is it to indulge thoughts or is it to wake up? 
So now I'll read uh, to you a poem from the great uh, sixth Zen ancestor, Hui Neng. He says, even if you do not know that miracles happened, three th the miracles happen 3,000 times in the morning and 800 times in the evening, miracles are actualized. Those who see and hear the wondrous activity of miracles by Buddha Tathagatas do not fail to attain the way. Attaining the way of all Buddhas is always completed by the power of miracles. And then um, we, uh, we have another famous saying by the outstanding layman, uh, Pang Yun. You've probably heard it before. Miracles are nothing other than fetching water and carrying firewood. And this is what's extraordinary. So it, it's inviting us, how do we appreciate this life that we have? And so here's where mindfulness comes in. It's only if we see and are present for each moment that we touch the miracle of each moment. And you've all experienced this, the miracle of a blade of grass, the miracle of a beautiful sunset. And in, in retreats, you know, Gil often teaches us to just be here. That's all we have to do for the whole retreat. And that's all we have to do to live our daily lives to the fullest. The miracle of uh, fetching water, the miracle of sweeping the floor. And it's interesting that many poets over many centuries are also telling us exactly the same thing. So now uh, let me read to you a beautiful poem by Walt Whitman from Leaves of Grass, which was published in 1900. Guess what it's called? Miracles. Why? Who makes much of a miracle? As to me, I, have no, I know of nothing else but miracles. Whether I walk the streets of Manhattan or dart my sight over the roofs of houses towards the sky, or wade with naked feet along the beach, just in the edge of the water, or stand under trees in the woods, or talk by day with anyone I love, or sleep in the bed at night with anyone I love, or sit at the table at dinner with my mother, or look at strangers opposite me, riding in the car. Or watch honeybees around the hive of a summer forenoon. Or animals feeding in the fields, or birds. Or the wonderfulness of insects in the air. Or the wonderfulness of the sundown. Or of stars shining so quiet and bright or the exquisite, delicate, thin curve of the new moon in spring. Or whether I go among those I like best and that like me best, mechanics, boatmen, fishermen, or among the savants, 
or to the soiree, or to the opera. Or stand a long while looking at the movements of machinery, or behold children at their sports, or the admirable sight of the perfect old man or the perfect old woman, or the sick in hospitals, or the dead carried to burial, or my own eyes and figure in the glass. These with the rest, one and all, are to me miracles. The whole referring, yet each distant and in its place. To me, every hour of the light and dark is a miracle. Every cubic inch of space is a miracle. Every square yard of the surface of the earth is spread with the same. Every foot of the interior swarms with the same. Every spear of grass, the frames, limbs, organs of men and women, and all that concerns them, all these to me are unspeakably perfect miracles. To me, the sea is a continual miracle. The fishes that swim, the rocks, the motion of the waves, the ships with men in them, what stranger miracles are there? So how come we miss all these miracles? And the trouble is that we let ourselves be preoccupied with our thinking minds, with me, myself, and mine, with our self-centeredness, with all that we think that we have to accomplish. And we miss these exquisite moments. So our practice of meditation is actually training the mind to be present for the miracles of each moment. And this is our path towards freedom. This is how we awaken. So now let me tell you a little bit about my dear friend and housemate, Linda Hess, who is here tonight. Linda is a professor at Stanford in the Religious Studies Department, specializing in South Asia. She's fluent in Hindi and is a world expert on the wonderful Indian poet Kabir. She's just published a scholarly book on the oral aspects of Kabir's poetry called Bodies of Song. Which has had glowing reviews and she's here tonight Linda, wake up. <laughs> if you'd like to speak with her afterwards. <laughs> it's, <her. laughs> it's okay. She just came back from India and is jet-lagged. It's okay. <laughs> so I'd like to read to you a beautiful poem by Kabir, which Linda has translated from the Hindi in another book of hers called Singing Emptiness. And it's called, correct me if I'm wrong, um, It Will Fly Away Alone, The Swan. The swan flies is a metaphor for someone who is completely free. The swan flies freely over the world, looking down at the carnival of our delusion. 
But first, I'll let you hear it sung by the renowned singer of Kabir's poetry, Kumar Gandharva. So let's see if this works. Ah. I've got to get the Wi-Fi working. to put the password and I, I redid my computer and anybody know the phone number? Would you like me to sing the song? Hmm? I'll sing the song. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Will you get the phone number? Meg is uh, going to play you a bit of the song by a very beautiful classical singer of North India. He died in the 90s, uh, who was especially famous for singing songs of, well, of emptiness or of nirguna, the, the truth with no quality and no descriptive. You can't capture it in description. So if she gets around to getting connected, you'll hear the refrain repeated um, so the first word will be urjayaga, and that means it will fly away, urjayaga. And then hansa akela, hansa is that swan, and akela is alone. So it's a picture of this swan image, this very, the, the free being um, flying up, and then death gets into it.
So now I'll uh, read it to you in English, as translated by Linda. I will fly away alone, the swan. It will fly away alone. What a sight, the carnival of this world. When a leaf falls from a tree, it's hard for them to meet again. Who knows where it will land when it is hit by a gust of wind? When your time is up, the order comes down from above. Death's mighty messengers arrive. You have to tangle with death. Kabir sings the qualities of God whose boundaries can't be found. The guru moves on according to his actions, the disciple according to his. It will fly away alone, the swan. What a sight the carnival of this world. So we all know that someday we'll die. But most of us, we don't often act with this understanding of how very precious every instant is. We get caught in imaginary thinking, in planning, or in regret, in the future or the past, 
rather than coming to rest in the present moment. Taking the time to taste the miracle of the present moment. And in the end, this is what's worthwhile in our life. We can't rely on our possessions. We can't rely on our bodies. All we can really rely on are two things. Our capacity to be present for what the present moment offers us, no matter what it is, and the capacity to love even if we're on our deathbed. My brother and sisters and um, most of their kids live in Maine. And three weeks I went back there for one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had. Together we buried a beautiful newborn baby named Holman Day Gawler. My niece, Molly, whom I'm very close to, has been a dancer uh, with an international career and someone who also has a very deep spiritual practice. She's someone who knows her body and heart uh, much better than most of us do. And she and everyone else in the family, including me, we were so thrilled with her pregnancy. And what was supposed to have been a a joyful occasion turned into an unspeakable tragedy. This little being who was alive just until towards the end of the labor, he didn't survive the process of being born. My niece Molly and her husband Lau were devastated, but they handled it so tenderly they created a beautiful ritual for us all to join in, in bearing their son, turning towards the loss rather than running away from the pain of it. And what we did together that day to bury this beautiful little being was deeply healing for everyone who was there. Transformative. I remember thinking, none of us will ever be the same. And again, we transform our suffering by being present for it. So maybe I'll, I'll share with you the compassion meditation phrases that I prepared to, to help them and the family and friends to embrace this incredibly painful experience. May you honor your grief and be free from suffering. May you bathe in the love that's holding you. May you know your true home. May you be peaceful. In the end, it's all about letting go. But to get to the letting go, we have to be fully present. And that's where this beautiful path of ours takes us, this path to freedom. In the end, what counts is not our jobs, nor who we think we are, or what others think of us. 
None of those things that we do to reinforce our sense of self. What counts, and all that counts, is being present for what is. Greeting each moment as a friend. So maybe for the next few days, as we celebrate the new year, you can think about what it would be like to put aversion aside and to really greet each moment as a friend. Every moment, no exceptions. And the more we do this, the more we can revel in the wonderness of the miracle of each moment. In the Zen monasteries, we're uh, called several times a day to come to the meditation hall for, for meditation. And to announce each meditation session, there's a great solid wooden plank called a han that's struck with a wooden mallet in a cascading rhythm. Um, and the sound of this has been described as kind of like mixing uh, thunder, wood chopping, and a machine gun. And this han is described, is inscribed with the Japanese characters, or now sometimes in English in this country. It says, Life and death are a matter of grave importance. Wake up. Don't waste a moment. So every time we're called to come to the meditation hall, it's life and death are a matter of grave importance. Don't waste your time. Wake up. Thank you for your attention. Let's sit for just a minute and we'll have uh, time for discussion. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much for your attention. I want to thank you for your talk this evening. Um, I think what came to me as you were talking about the death of the infant, um, how we'll never be the same again. Um, I often think of it in terms of like, how do we get over something? You know, like this is some aberration and we're going to get yeah. over it and we'll yeah. get back to where we were before it happened. Yeah. And you know, the idea that we won't, that, you know, yeah. we'll never be the same again, um, yeah. can be both, for me, both um, uh, I'll say, uh, what do you call it, frustrating and also liberating, yeah. depending on how I look yeah. at it. And this is it. 
this is our human condition. You know, this this is this is human life. Hi. Uh, first of all, thank you for that. Um, second of all, I was just wondering, what are the other qualities of mind besides the analytical thinking mind? Um, if that I'm makes not, sense. I'm sure I understand what you're asking. Like, sort of like, what are the other functions of the mind besides sort of like thinking and analyzing, like from a Buddhist perspective? I'm not sure I know the answer to that. Um, I'm, I'm not e extremely uh, educated in Buddhist psychology. Um, it's very complicated. There's, there's a lot about it, the whole Abhidhamma, <laughs> which I haven't read. Um, I think, uh, personally, I'm more interested in, in Buddhist practice than in, in Buddhist psychology, and I think um, it's what we do with our minds that's uh, really of import. So there's, um, there's uh, certainly uh, a lot of place for using our analytical minds in our practice. Um, one important practice in the Vipassana path is um, investigation. So when, you know, something comes up, we turn towards it and, and we investigate it and we say, oh, what's this? Or, you know, our experiences of our life, um, as, as we live things, maybe anger comes up, you know, and we can do mental noting and say, ah, anger's like this. Or, you know, desires like this, addictions like this. And in the, in the Satipatthana Sutta, it's very interesting the, 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 what the Buddha teaches there is that that's all we have to do. We don't have to fix it. We don't, you know, we can have anger coming up. And of course, anger is an unskillful mind state. But the only practice we really have to do is to notice and register, ah, this is what anger is like. And it will kind of take care of itself uh, as we continue to do that. And the, the great value of mindfulness is that it makes a kind of space around our experience so that we don't have to be prisoners of our reactivity. We can notice, ah, you know, this is, this is anger. And then, instead of getting angry, we can have a moment, because we have the mindfulness cultivated, to start to think, what is a skillful response to this unskillful mind state? What's going to take me down the path towards more suffering? Or what's going to take me down the path towards freedom? And then, we really have a chance uh, to change and, and to make, start to make skillful uh, decisions about how we are in this world. 
And it's enough just to notice. And, and the mindfulness opens that space where we can start cultivating wisdom. The wisdom to choose the, the skillful response. I probably didn't answer your question, but you, would you like to try again? Uh, no, thank you, though. Wanted to thank you for your talk and also thank you for bringing um, visual um, poetry, the spoken word, the sung um, were uh, uh, bringing in a lot of ways to meditate, different ways to meditate, different experiences in meditating. Um, sometimes we listen to Dharma talks. And uh, this was a real pleasure to bring in those other senses other than listening. I want to thank you for that. Thanks. It was kind of an end of the year sort of, you know, excess. <laughs> Not exactly the style around here, but, you know. Um, so earlier you said if we reflect often on our good fortune we'll be happier and furthermore our happiness will radiate outward toward others so it's a good practice to do and uh, it got me to thinking about uh, how versatile Buddhism is uh, I mean another practice is that we hear all the time is to let go, let go, let go. Another practice is uh, loving kindness toward others. And uh, if we do that, we'll be happier too. And then uh, something else you said during this talk, you know, uh, this is our life. This is just how our life is. And uh, maybe not good, maybe not bad, it's how it is. I mean, there's all these different things we can do. Um, so you touched on two or three of them tonight. Uh, it's just something that hadn't quite struck me before. Thank you. Yeah, one of the, it's, been, it's been a really powerful thing for me to actually try to put into practice greeting each moment as a friend. What does this moment have to teach me, even if I don't like it? How can I open my heart to something as painful as the death of a newborn? It's a beautiful practice, actually. Each moment is a friend. It's not really a question, Meg. It's a, uh, I, I have this wish to tell you guys that the same poet, Kabir, sometimes handles these same topics with a kind of humor. And um, so I wanted to tell you on the theme that Meg is talking about, the theme she's touching on tonight, a sort of a, a rollicking song that, uh, that comes at it 
in a different way. So it just, I'm just going to tell you in English. The chorus is jog Musafir jog, wake up, traveler, wake up. And that gets repeated over and over again. And then it goes through four verses and it says, first you slept in your mother's womb hanging upside down and while you were in the womb, you made a promise that you'd remember what was important when you came out. But when you came out, you forgot all about it. Wake up, traveler, wake up. Second, you slept in your mother's lap and she and your aunties all cuddled and coddled you. Um, and then it, it says, uh, and so your, there, there went your childhood. Third, you slept in your wife's bed with your arms all entwined around each other and so your marriage passed by. And then he keeps saying, wake up, traveler, wake up. You've been sleeping a long time. That, that's what it says. You've been sleeping a long time. Fourth, you slept, you got the final sleep, and you slept on the way to cremation ground with your big feet stretched out. Kabir says, I've been trying to wake you up and trying to wake you up, but you never woke up. Too bad. <laughs> can, can you sing a verse of it for us? Jag musafir jaganadin soliore. Jag musafir jaganadin soliore. Abto jag musafir jag. Thank you. What I think I'll remember is lean into the loss. Yeah. Yeah. I think that if I could do that, I'd be like the swan. Yep, you got it. Thank you for sharing that, that's beautiful. Hello, <clears throat> and thank you. I was just thinking one thing, I think it was near the beginning of the talk where you said, um, well, someone said, and you repeated what they said, that uh, you can either think or be free. <laughs> and I was- Who said what? Uh, where they said, um, you can either think or be free. You know, yeah. Do you want to think or be free? And, well, this during meditation. Yeah. yeah, and I was just wondering, like, you know, during meditation, you know, is it like a surrendering of like free will? Because like you know, we think of free will as we can think, and you know, do you want to think or be free? So is meditation like giving up free will? Well, you're welcome to think during meditation, but it's not perhaps the most skillful way to meditate. 
And sometimes thinking does have a place, as I said earlier. You know, if, if you, you, know, you get something, that maybe that needs to be investigated. You don't necessarily always push thinking away. Not at all. There, there's, there's times when it's good to, to go with it and then come back to whatever your medication object is. Um, but I don't uh, think that it's a renouncing free will, not at all. Because we decide what we do with our thinking. We, we can investigate it or... The thing is, you know, there's a difference between um, waking up and seeing that we're thinking, oh, there, you know, uh, and, and then investigating it and coming back to the object of our meditation, whether it's uh, the breath or the body or whatever it is, and jumping on the, on the, on the thinking train. And then we're off, and it's na 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 and it's like 15 minutes later, an hour later. We don't even realize we've been on this thought train. And the thought train is not exactly meditation. Thank you. Well, it's about time. Thank you so much. Happy New Year, everybody. May 2016 bring you tastes of freedom.